0: Please be seated. Well, as you know, these past few weeks, we've been looking at counterculture, what it means to live counter to our culture in refreshing ways that help people to see Jesus when they see us. And today we're going to take a look at fear in a countercultural way. Lord God, we praise you and we ask your help this morning. Lord, help us to hear you. Help us to hear your voice, your voice of assurance that leads us into trust. Help draw us close to you that we can hear how you want to invite us to live lives of freedom and joy against any fear. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, fear does play a big role in our culture. If you were to have driven past Bellevue Square just last week, last Saturday morning, you would see people lining the sidewalk, down the sidewalk and around the corner, all standing in line to try out for a chance to be on a TV show called The Apprentice. Why are they standing in line for a chance to be fired? (laughs) To be fired from a phony job by a phony boss. And if there's anything on that show that's not phony, we'd have to ask Donald Trump's hairdresser to find out. <laughs> but the reason is because fear sells. And finally, we have a show that gives us a chance to deal with one of the most basic and common fears, which is the fear of being fired, the fear of being rejected. And we'd rather laugh at it than cry at it. Laughing is bitter. You can just flip on the TV any night of the week and you're guaranteed to get a fresh dose of fear we love to watch movies and TV and buy books and newspapers that all dish out fear in bite-sized morsels why because it sells they have a saying in the news business if it bleeds it leads and the irony is that while we have become more afraid The world has actually gotten safer. Take a look at this news that might surprise you. Life expectancy in the U.S. doubled during the 20th century. During the 1990s, the murder rate dropped by 20%. Even though TV news shows talking about murder increased by 600%. In the past decade, the number of drug users has decreased by about half. Yet parents, when surveyed, will still list drug use as the number one fear for America's youth. Recent surveys of teachers, when asked about the biggest problems in their schools, they do not list fear of crime at the top of the list. Rather, the most frequent answers are parent apathy, lack of resources fighting in school, and lack of textbooks. And public schools are safer than places where teens are going to hang out anywhere else. They're safer than their homes. And the only thing that's more dangerous at school than elsewhere is the risk of injury due to sports. Yet our culture seems obsessed by fear. You know, it's almost impossible nowadays to buy a diving board or to install a big swing set in a public park. And so many ladder manufacturers have gone out of business, and we've got warning labels on everything from lawnmowers to Legos. And I just picked up a bag of landscaping rocks last week, and I was amazed to read the warning label. Warning, not for ingestion. (laughs) Keep away from children. Where were they when I was a kid? Maybe, maybe I wouldn't have eaten so many rocks. Okay, okay. So I, I know there are dangers in the world. And it's just that our inclination towards fear makes them seem worse than they really are. And I think the most insidious fears of all are the phony fears that our culture teaches us to fear. Fears like how I look, how I smell, what kind of car I drive, how much money I have whether I'm getting enough fiber in my diet. (laughs) And yet, how different America is from the rest of the world. I visited my friends, Salim and Kay, in Jerusalem last year, a dangerous city. And I asked them about living with fear, and Kay wrote me a letter, and I'd like to read just part of her letter. At times, we have been quite fearful for our boys, especially when bombs went off next to their school in central Jerusalem. The area was taped off whilst the army did a sweep of the school area. They were put in the basement during this. I could not get near, so had to park a distance away and run like crazy to get them. Another time was when a soldier pointed his gun directly at Sam, age 5, at a checkpoint, and I was rigid with fear and guilt of taking him through this situation. As a mother, I feel my job is to protect and raise them, so I often suffer from guilt, whereas Salim says all these situations are also good for them as it builds character and faith. So what do I do? First, I have to know that what we are doing is God's will and we are called to it. Once that's settled, I know we are in the right place and doing the right work. Then I have to trust God for all aspects of our life, including safety. It's a daily thing. Many times we split up in the morning to school and work and we really do not know if we will be together again in the evening. I have to let go and leave God to watch over the boys. After all, worrying is really quite draining and time-consuming and a waste of resources. And I am as powerless to stop dangerous situations as anybody is anywhere in the world. And I don't want to become a control freak and paranoid at every turn. Where would the worrying end? with fun rides and white sugar. Handing it over to God frees us up to do all sorts of things, and that's very liberating, sort of exhilarating, and life becomes more enjoyable. P.S., I would rather walk through 100 checkpoints than preach a sermon... Well, Kay and her family are witnesses to the Messiah in a land that rejects him. And it's been pretty much the same story for 2,000 years now. That hasn't changed. It's the same danger that Terry just read about in these words from that passage in Luke. Look at what Jesus is saying to his friends. My friends, don't worry about being killed. This is what they're worried about persecution. They're worried about being killed for their countercultural faith. But you know, persecution has always been a good thing for the church because it's always forced the followers of Jesus to live countercultural lives. Persecution has always forced the people who love Jesus to think about what it means to live a life that looks different from the world around them. Down through the centuries, People who love Jesus have been living as though they weren't afraid of danger even to the point of death. There have always been people who lived as though they were aware of some greater authority from beyond the world and some something bigger than the dangers of the world. There've always been some who have kept on being willing to speak the name of Jesus even in the face of threats. Some who have walked into slums to treat infectious diseases. Some who have stayed in cities infected by plagues in order to take care of perfect strangers. Some who have been willing to go in and rebuild schools and hospitals that had been burnt down. Some who are willing to stand in the face of injustice and stand up for what is right, even though it meant getting fired from their job. Some students who are willing to defend the unpopular kid, even though it meant getting laughed at by the others. There have always been people willing to live refreshing lives that were countercultural and were not afraid of what the rest of the world was afraid of. There's something refreshing about those people that makes them different. And I don't think it's because they never got afraid. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Heroes aren't fearless. They're simply people who know someone or something bigger than their fears. Fear can be a good thing sometimes, like when a three-year-old tries to run into the street or when we come face-to-face with a tiger in the jungle. Adrenaline can be a good thing. So that's not what Jesus is talking about here when he says, don't be afraid. He's talking about another kind of fear, the kind of fear that leads to worry, the kind of fear that takes us out of the present moment, the kind of fear that causes us to worry and fear things that we can't control anyway. Jesus tells us there is only one whom we should fear, the one to whom God has given all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. When we fear God, then we listen to God. And when we listen to God, we hear Him say, Do not be afraid. This is the story of the Bible cover to cover from the Garden of Eden till today. It's the story of people who have run and hid from God even though God keeps on proving His faithfulness. Listen to what he says to Joshua as he prepares to guide the Israelites into the Holy Land. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The timeless wisdom of Proverbs. Do not be afraid of sudden panic or of the storm that strikes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. He said to Isaiah, the prophet, who was being persecuted, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. He said to Daniel, whose life was at risk under an evil king, He said, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. And then finally, Jesus. That night when he was walking out across the water, and the disciples were in the boat, and they were terrified. And they were saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So all fear comes down to this one question. Can I trust God? I remember the day that I took the training wheels off of my son's little orange bike. And I was running along behind the bike, holding on to the back of the seat with my hand. And he was terrified, panic, fear. Daddy, Daddy, don't let go. And he kept wanting to stop and look behind him to see if my hand was still holding on to the back of the seat. And I said, Don't worry, son. I won't let go. I promise. Jesus has given us the same promise. He says, Don't worry. I am with you. Always. But how do we know? How do we know there's a God? This may be our Ultimate fear that that He's not there and that religion is a lie. That's the most loneliest place in the world. That's, That's a place where we have nothing to depend on but ourselves. And we know how frightening that is. The ultimate fear, can I trust God? Because the ultimate fear would be to be standing before the almighty, most holy creator God of the universe knowing that I'm a sinner. Can I really trust God? To confront that fear is a journey of faith. You will only discover it by doing it. You won't answer that question by thinking about it. You won't be able to answer that question by trying to be good. You won't answer that question by waiting for God to prove it to you. He already has proven it. He gave His life to prove it. He gave his life to save me before I even knew him. It's helpful sometimes to look back and remember how God has been there for us in the past and how his hand has been there to protect and strengthen us. But we can't live life by looking backwards. We have to go through the uncertainty, we have to face forward and pedal. In all the uncertainty of life, there's only one thing that we can be certain of. God. And that He's there for us. We are incredibly valuable to Him. Do you hear the ridiculous irony when Jesus says you are of more value than many sparrows? We are incredibly valuable to God. So what are you afraid of? Take all your fears write them down, add them up, multiply them by 100. And what do they add up to? Less than zero in the presence of the almighty creator of the universe. Because the sum of all fears is the end of all fears. And this is what happens when we meet Jesus face to face. And we read about it in the very last book of the Bible, the book that some people call the scariest book of the Bible, the Revelation to John. And when John saw Jesus in that vision and he saw Jesus in all his splendor and power and glory, he said this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he put out his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Imagine turning to Jesus right now and giving him our list of fears and saying, Jesus, help me with my fears. And you know what happens? Before I can even get the first word out of my mouth, Jesus, I realize that I am standing in the presence of the almighty creator God of the universe And he puts out his right hand toward me. And that's significant. Because that is the right hand of judgment. Of righteousness. That is the right hand of the one that has all authority in heaven and earth. And he says, be not afraid. For I am the first and the last and the living one. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. For most of my life, I didn't know God. But when I met Jesus, I realized that I have nothing to fear. I realized that the sum of all my fears equals one and zero. I have only one person to fear, and in his presence, all my fears are zero. And a Christian is someone who has heard that voice saying, Do not be afraid and recognized the voice of Jesus. It all comes back to this basic promise that we just read a few minutes ago from Psalm 56. This I know that God is for me. I'd like you to say that prayer with me right now. This I know that God is for me. Heavenly Father, we praise You for speaking to us for being the God who is faithful and the God who has shown us that you love us more than we can imagine. Dear God, help us to stay close enough to you to hear your voice when you say, do not be afraid. And then take our fears, Lord. Take them away from us and leave us only with you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.